0: Thank you, Ash Ponders, for joining Team Southpaw. You a legend. This is Sam, this is Paul, and this is Southpaw. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the show, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by joining Team Southpaw on Patreon. By becoming a member, you'll get access to bonus content like exclusive articles, fight previews, bonus episodes, transcripts of fight studies and access to our private chat group on discord but more importantly you will help us supplement the cost of the show the incredible time and energy sam and i put into making the show and you'll be giving us some breathing room not only to juggle southpaw with our day jobs but also expand southpaw into other areas become a southpaw member at patreon.com southpawpod southpaw pod UFC Fight Night, Edgar vs. The Korean Zombie was the last UFC event of the 2019 calendar year and the main event did not disappoint. Frankie Edgar traveled into enemy territory when he stepped up on short notice to face Jung on roughly 2 weeks notice. Not only did this save the headliner, it also guaranteed that Jung would still be able to face a high level featherweight to keep the spout from being a squash match. Despite Edgar's brave attempt to win against the odds, it wasn't enough as Jung finished Edgar via TKO at 3 minutes and 18 seconds of the first round. In all honesty, this shouldn't have surprised anyone. Jung has been quietly improving his skill sets fight after fight, and he finally seems to be putting it all together. We all knew Jung was tough and can hold his own in a brawl, but who knew that he was such a polished striker? If you take a closer look at his fights, you can see all the signs were there that he's been steadily working on sharpening his punches. For whatever reason, people are still under the impression that Jung will strike like a madman, getting in close to exchange hooks and uppercuts, often taking a punch to give one. That side of him still exists, but only makes appearances when it absolutely has to. Otherwise, the Jung of today is much more strategic, and he relies on a certain number of tools that he has sharpened like a fine blade. This isn't easy to hide, especially when you consider that since 2012, he's headlined every single card he's been on. Not only that, he's had just six fights since that time period, meaning his frequency is less than once a year. 2019 was the first time since 2011 when he's had more than one fight in a calendar year. Granted, most of that absence was due to his mandatory military service and multiple injuries, but how many fighters can take that much time off between appearances and still get top billing? Outside of usual A-list stars like McGregor and John Jones, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that can get that kind of leverage. In the Fight Preview article, I spoke at length about Jung's evolution and how he has one of the best counter games at featherweight. Jung went from reckless brawler who constantly plotted forward to pressure fighter who gets you to swing first so he can hit back with a slick right-hand left-hook combination. Jung is no longer just an exciting fighter. He is a legit contender for the title. You can see after his fight with George Roop that he made a conscious decision to no longer just plod forward aimlessly, taking a shot to give a shot. No, he will be strategic. He will still pressure fighters, but taking damage is no longer going to be a freebie. If someone was going to land a strike on him, they were going to have to earn it. Jung's rematch with Leonard Garcia looked completely different from their first fight, and not just because he won by twister. The second time around, Jung moved forward and feinted to get Garcia to swing at air so he could counter with sharp hooks and straights. Garcia is a wild man, but he's not an idiot. Taking damage for nothing and not connecting on his own strikes made him cautious. Jung's 7 second finish of hominic is also a testament to his ability to read the striking terrain and counter effectively. The speed and power of Jung's strikes constantly surprises opponents. They're just not expecting something to come that quickly. This doesn't mean that Jung has Rumble Johnson power but think of it more like the kind of striking that Conor McGregor has. McGregor's left straight is based on timing and precision, and so are Jung's. The punches are wider and less compact, but thrown at the right time when the opponent is either just finishing up their own strikes or moving forwards towards what they think is a defenseless Jung. Look carefully at his hips, and you'll see that Jung slightly lowers his base before uncorking his strikes giving them an extra boost in power and torque. It also gives the side benefit of being a good way to slip from his opponent's strikes and countering from a dominant position. For whatever reason, this isn't brought up by announcers and is certainly not something many camps have figured out a game plan against. Although Edgar is listed at 5'6 and Jung at 5'7, there seems to be a massive discrepancy in height and one of them is probably fibbing about their measurements. This didn't help Edgar at all, since Jung seems to be completely at ease and the much bigger fighter. Stutter steps, fainting with his jabs, and forward movement all seem to be coming together. It's interesting to note that even though Jung would step forward, he doesn't pressure Edgar like you would normally expect. Instead, he stepped a couple of times and let Edgar come towards him. This was a similar strategy that Jose Aldo and Max Holloway used to get Edgar to overcommit And meet him in the middle with their own strikes. Edgar's low kicks did land, but were too sporadic and not hard enough to discourage Jung from coming forward. After a right straight from Edgar, Jung connects with a short left hook to the jaw, stunning him momentarily. From there, a lazy wrestling shot is easily stuffed and countered with an uppercut. This is a favorite of Jung and one of his signature strikes. Still wobbly, Edgar moves back only to be met with an uppercut left hook and right hook left hook combination that drops him. Jung takes his back and controls the position smoothly. Once he has the leg hooks in, he keeps him in place while punishing Edgar with short hooks at the side of his head. He consistently flattens out Edgar's base and keeps on landing punches, but doesn't gas himself out doing so. This comes in handy since the always tough Edgar does find a way to get back on his knees and up to his feet. But the damage has been done. Another uppercut to left hook drops Edgar again, and from there he finishes Edgar with strikes. This is the same finishing move that Jung caught Dennis Bermudez with, and it's what caused the beginning of the end for Dustin Poirier in their matchup. Jung is always able to hurt you with straights or uppercuts, but it's usually the follow-up hook that drops you. It's definitely a specialty and something future opponents should keep an eye out for. At Southpaw, we talk constantly about how if you've been around the fight game long enough, especially at the highest level, you give your opponents ample time to study you and break apart your strengths and weaknesses. We saw it last week with Holloway versus Volkanovski, and the same thing happened to Edgar. There's no shame in it. In fact, it should be lauded for its longevity. There are plenty of one-trick ponies in combat sports who have a few cool moves but get shut down quite easily once people figure out a counter. The fact that Edgar was winning for so long against bigger opponents with nothing more than his smooth boxing into wrestling should prove just how effective it can be. To give you some context, in the same month that Edgar won his first UFC title in the UFC against BJ Penn, Jung got knocked out with a head kick by George Root. Edgar made his UFC debut when Jung was finishing high school. Edgar has been in this game for a long time. Let's give the man his due. With all that said, I hate to be the bearer of bad and obvious news, but at some point, size does matter. It doesn't mean that it's everything, but when you have two evenly matched fighters, the bigger and stronger person holds a distinct advantage. Edgar used to be able to hang with the bigger guys due to his speed and technical skills, but now it's not enough. Even at featherweight, he's definitely on the smaller side and would benefit more at 135 pounds. Let's not forget that Edgar was actually preparing for his bantamweight debut before saving this fight night card. It looks now more than ever that he should definitely not be fighting against other featherweights, but with a knockout loss like that, should he be fighting at all? Edgar is 38 years old. And even though he can still be competitive with the top of any weight class, the amount of damage he's taking throughout his career can't be ignored. He's been dropped multiple times in many of his fights. And the guys at 135 can still punch plenty hard and have tons of power to boot. Jose Aldo also recently moved down to bantamweight and lost a razor-close decision to Marlon Marais, a former teammate of Edgar who is incredibly quick and can throw a switch kick at the drop of a hat. Also in that weight class, guys like Cody Garbrandt and Pedro Munoz lurk in the bottom of the top 10, just waiting for others to stand and trade with them. At the very top of the bantamweight heap is Henry Cejudo, former Olympic gold medalist and now respectable striker who took out TJ Dillashaw and Moraes to establish himself as a de facto king of 135. The guy that Edgar was slated to make his bantamweight debut against, Corey Sandhagen, isn't exactly a chump either. At 5'11 with a 71 inch reach, he also towers over Edgar and has a distinct height and reach advantage over him. This isn't a plea to get Edgar to retire. Who knows, maybe he'll pull a Randy Couture and dominate once he finally gets to square up against guys his own size. However, Couture's style is very methodical and doesn't rely on speed, something Edgar needs if he's going to be competitive. I don't know if 135 is the answer, but I do know that Edgar can be proud of all that he's accomplished. This can be perfectly summarized by Holloway, who penned the classy Instagram post after his title fight against Edgar. He stated, and I quote, The greatest of all time talk always makes me cringe. Legends can coexist. Frankie was going to win no matter what last night because I am part Frankie. I am who I am as a father and martial artist because of some of the things I've learned from Frankie and coach Mark Henry. Proud to be Hawaiian, proud to be honorary Canadian. But if you know this sport the way us fighters know it, every champ reps a little bit of jersey whether they like it or not because of these two legends. What better endorsement can you get? I sincerely hope that Edgar is able to find some success at Batamway or he decides that enough is enough and he wants to hang up his gloves. Either way, the pride of Toms River, New Jersey can be proud of all he's accomplished. As for Jung, that's his second straight finish in 2019 and immediately after the fight, he called out Volkanovsky. With Holloway non-committal about his return day, this might be a fantastic first title defense for the champion. Why not defend your belt against one of the most exciting fighters on the roster? If he can get the UFC to put the match in Australia, I can't see Volkanovski turning down that opportunity. If Holloway does demand an immediate rematch, rebooking the fight with Ortega might be a good consolation prize for Zhang and would definitely set up the next contender for the belt. Either way, expect Zombie to be the main event, no matter what the rest of the card looks like. There is one other fighter on this card I wanted to talk a bit about, and that's Duho Choi. Facing off against Charles Jordan, Choi was facing similar pressure to Jung, representing not just his country, but his hometown. Choi started off his UFC career with the bang, rattling off three finishes in the first round, courtesy of his dynamite right hand. With unnerving accuracy and speed, he was able to catch a lot of guys off guard. And he was given a step up in competition against Cub Swanson. At the time, Swanson was billed as the veteran fighter who was there to gauge the level of Choi. Even though he was 2-2 two two in his last four fights, Swanson entered the match feeling disrespected, like the UFC brass was treating him as a sacrificial lamb for the upcoming South Korean star. One brutal war later that somehow went to a decision it was clear that there were some defensive holes in Choi's game that would have to be shored up. It would be two years before Choi fought again and he made his return against the always entertaining Jeremy Stevens. With so much time off between fights, people didn't know if he would have ring rust or if the time off helped him sharpen up his defenses. Sadly, the same issues that plagued him in the Swanson fight emerged in the Stevens matchup. And it appeared that if Choi was going to improve, he would have to leave the confines of his small gym in Busan, South Korea. However, this did not happen. When we talk about the improvements of Korean Zombie, we can't forget to mention how he sought out help from other fighters and camps in the United States. First, he got hooked up with Team Alpha Male, where he was able to get a better understanding of the wrestling game and how to learn better pacing and practice with UFC and WC fighters on a consistent basis. While at WEC, he met and bonded with Ben Henderson, so much so that he set up his stateside camp in Arizona. Through Ben Henderson, Jung got introduced to Eddie Cha, a striking coach that would take Jung from being a good brawler to amazing counter-striker. For this camp, and earlier in 2019, Jung also linked up with Eric Albaracin, the head coach for Henry Cejudo and a decorated wrestler himself. Jung knew that he had the skills to make it to the top, but his team and coaching staff in Korea wouldn't be enough to take him there. Traveling outside his comfort zone, literally, is what helped him truly go from fan favorite to legitimate contender. The good news is, Jung doesn't have a monopoly on this kind of system. It's a template that fighters like Choi can freely copy and use to their own advantage. In this fight against Jordan, it was clear that Choi has power and a neat set of striking tools that can hurt anyone on the feet. His right straight, crisp hooks, long uppercuts, and kicks are thrown with bad intentions. The problem is everyone knows that. Jordan is an unranked fighter and this was his second UFC fight. After getting battered for most of the first round, he was able to figure out Choi's striking patterns and seemed to get a better sense of his timing and footwork. A committed attack pattern centered around hurting Choi to the body definitely got Choi's hands to drop and a lack of fainting and lateral movements from Choi meant that he would become predictable. Eventually, a quick left hook-right hook combo put down Choi for good, extending his losing streak to three. Sam recently pointed out that Choi might have to do the same thing that Jung did, and I agree. I don't want to just summarize his post, so here it is in full. Zombie looked great, but Superboy might need to do what Zombie did and cross-train in the U.S. after his military service. The reason many Asian countries don't do as well in MMA is because they're developing it on their own. Whereas the U.S., Europe, Brazil, and even Latin America are developing it together. So it's like trying to develop science on your own. We'll be delayed. And the reason is language barrier. Like in my gym, we always hear about new things happening in Brazil. And the same thing for big gyms in Brazil. They hear about what we do here. And US Spanish speakers are not that uncommon, so information spreads to Latin America gyms. Many European gyms have English speakers. But in Asia, usually there are zero people at the gym who speak English. Actually, they aren't going to speak any other language than their native one, typically. So information doesn't travel as quickly. These are all excellent points, and for me personally... I would love for Choi to get and work with high-level camps here in the States. Can you imagine him with the footwork and lateral movements of Eddie Alvarez? Or if he gets the kind of game planning and work from American top team? If he still wants to stand and bang, how about getting that kind of instruction from the former shooter box legend himself, Rafael Cordero, at King's MMA? Choi is still young, and after his military service, he still wouldn't be ancient. He should be taking time off anyways after a finish like that, and hopefully he can take another look at his surroundings and make the best decision for himself and his career. For Jordan, it's only up from here. He showed that he can weather the storm and learn from his opponents in real time. It'll be interesting to see who the UFC matches him up with in the near future, and it's always nice to see another fighter that has good body work and can listen to game plans. Now that's the show. We've grown Southpaw purely from word of mouth, so that means it's all organic. So if you're already spreading the word, please continue to do so. If you've never done it, please consider telling your friends, sharing on social media, and also leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will make it easier for others to find us. And since this is independent media, every dollar you pledge on Patreon goes a long way in the production of the show. Find us on patreon.com slash southpawpod. Until next year, goodbye.